When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Wolford standing tall, takes a shot toward the end zone, has lost, caught over the head, over the shoulder grab for a touchdown. His seventh of the season, Duke Thomas in coverage, and we know Rashad can dance. What was that, Manny? Was that some AAF highlight right there? I think it was Arizona <laughs> against San Antonio, I okay. think. Is there an Arizona team? Um, the reason that you <laughs> dug up some type of AAF highlight is because it's a, ba- it's a bad day. Bad it, day in the AAF world. If you love startup developmental football leagues, this is not your day. Has there ever been a good day in the AAF outside of the opening Saturday? Probably. Do what? I know about it? No. But there probably was some type of good day. Um, Purple Daily, the show. Courtney Cronin from ESPN. Manny Hill producing. Matthew Collar with you. And yes, the reports are coming down that the AAF will suspend its football operations and one of their owners will lose approximately $70 million in his investment. Yikes. Um, and they are going down, and it looks like they'll never come back. So Sad times. I mean... Sorry, AF. I thought it was going to last. I really did. I was taking a look at the way that this league was structured. They had Bill Polian running everything. It seemed like the, the format and how it was going to potentially work in conjunction eventually with the NFL was probably the right formula for success. But honestly, if you don't have the true backing and support fully integrated with the NFL... I don't think any league's going to survive. What I always wondered was why they went forward with this without having the backing of the NFL, because it just costs too much money. They were paying rosters of players $70,000 a piece, which is insane when you add that up and then look at the stands and no one was showing up to see these games. And the other thing that they didn't seem to anticipate is when you put it in the spring Sure, it starts out after the Super Bowl, and maybe some people are still fiending for football. I personally think we're all exhausted after that by football and want a break from it. But, okay, great. All right, everyone wants football after the Super Bowl. Give me more football. Oh, NCAA tournament starting? Oh, baseball starting? Wait, what league are you talking about now? I mean, it's very easy to get pushed to the back burner when you try to put it in spring because... Late March and April is one of the best times in all of sports. So not only do you lack the funding and you don't have any sort of agreement with the NFL to push you up, 
and get people interested in you and hold you up financially, but also you put your league at a time where it was going to have everybody turn their heads away, even if they were watching. I mean, they had games going up against the NCAA tournament the other day. I mean, who's watching the AAF over the NCAA tournament? It'd be one thing if it was good football. This is not good football. And I've watched several AAF games. I mean, our favorite player, our former, our favorite former Viking is currently in the AAF or what well, is now was, left of it. So was in the AAF. Yeah. Nick um, Truesdale, are you referring to? No, I'm not referring to Nick Jack Truesdale. Tocho? No, is Tocho in there? Charles Johnson? Um, Man Asiata. Yeah. All these guys were yeah, in Yeah, there's in there, but no, I was just, you know, I'm a big long snapping fan. I think, oh, think yes. this is well known. Um, <laughs> it's bad football Jeff to begin with. And, and, and the, the fact of the matter is they were trying to force feed a product to an audience that I think we're already kind of oversaturated in the NFL market. I don't yep. know if there's really a fan base here for, I want to see the next big thing. Well, the next big thing is in college football more mm-hmm. times than not. And yes, they were trying to create their own farm system, essentially, by giving guys second chances and having an opportunity for them to continue their careers if they get cut, if they're you know camp bodies and they don't make the roster, maybe this is their chance to rehab their career. They probably would have already made it on an NFL team by now. And you know, one thing that we never actually talked about, which I think would have helped ratings and helped maybe it succeed a little bit in that sense, if Colin Kaepernick was playing in the AAF. Reportedly, he wanted a lot of money to do that. Clearly, they don't have that type of money, but... I do wonder if we can play the hindsight game, what that would have done for the league had they been able to have a marquee big name headlining their their entire franchise. And the Manziel thing always seemed kind of desperate, like, oh, we're going to bring in Manziel so people want to come see him. But that didn't really seem to matter either. And what they also didn't factor about putting it this time of year was that the NFL offseason is more compelling than anything you can put on TV for a side league. Like, free agency, we just got an email from Phil Mackey about all the web clicks and downloads of podcasts and everything, and they all shot up during free agency time because there's so much interest from NFL fans about free agency, about the NFL draft. I mean, NFL Network is sitting there running Kyler Murray's Pro Day, and we're watching it like, all right, let's see what Kyler Murray's Pro Day looks like. And it just it keeps everyone captured onto their product, and no one was going to turn over to a developmental league, which I still think is a good idea for the good of the NFL to develop players in a side league, but it has to be in a different type of arena. What they've always tried to do, it seems, is put these games, uh, yes, Pan is talking about it right now, showing on TV some of the stadiums. They're putting them in huge college football stadiums, and it looks ridiculous, and it costs so much money to rent those out. Like, Why did they think that they could go with the... Most uh, technology with the biggest stadiums, with players getting paid decent wages. Like, why did they think they could afford this aside from just betting entirely on the NFL saying, oh, you're great. Let's invest in you. Simply because of that. They're trying to copy the NFL's model, show the NFL, hey, they should be invested in this. This should be a priority to cultivate this league even further with their own resources and the owners and everybody else. And who makes decisions in the NFL, we're like, yeah, absolutely not. We have our own fair share of problems that we're trying to work out here. And I just don't think it's a project anybody would want to take on. And to your point about timing, whether to put it in March and April, which, you know, it started back at the end of February or beginning of February, I believe. 
Um, even then, it was about a week after the Super Bowl, and it just felt like you're exhausted at that point. You don't want to watch more football. Um, you have the Pro Bowl at that time. I'd probably watch the Pro Bowl over the AAF anyways. But um, I don't know when you put it then. Which late, it, late summer, maybe? Training camp time? But aren't more people than interested? I just feel like there's yeah. no market for this. Like We already have college football. College football is the greatest scam in the sense of... <laughs> It's free labor for for NFL teams. It is a true farm system without being a farm system. Yep. They don't really need another one. This is just another... It's a developmental league that's going to go bust. How many times have we seen this happen before? I I do think that there would probably be a time in the middle of the summer, like in your June, July, where you could do it to sort of lead up to the NFL training camps. So some players who are looking for camp invites might be able to get them. But really, it's just that they decided to try and make it look a lot like the NFL with the technology and with the paychecks and everything else. And that just doesn't work. Like people aren't going to show up and spend even more money on football to see the inferior league with no connection to it. The, mm-hmm. the colleges have all those people who a go to the college and B went to the college. I mean, if you're Alabama, I'm sure that you have fans all over the country, but it's mostly a regional thing. So people want to come and see the best team in the region or the place where they went to school, or it sort of becomes that entire state wants to support that team or, you know, Auburn or the other rivalries that have been going on for hundreds of years. Um, basically, right? How long, when did college football start? 1800s, right? Yeah. So like you have these, these rivalries that have been going on for years and years and years and thousands of people who went to the colleges and big TV contracts and all those things. So they can afford the huge stadiums and the expensive coaches and the technology and all those things. It, it seemed like the AAF had no other plan than just to wait and hope that the NFL would bail it out. And they must have known when they started that they were either going to get bailed out by the NFL or this was going to fail. And it really is too bad because I watched a couple of the games, and you're right, it wasn't great football, but it also was a lot of interesting stories. I mean, even the former Vikings that we mentioned, like Charles Johnson is a guy that's been a fringe type of NFL player who's gone through some injuries and bounced to a couple different teams, and it would kind of be cool if he went to the AAF and had a Tommy Maddox-like thing, you know, or, or one of those AAF quarterbacks um, became a starter one day, like a Kurt Warner Arena League type of thing. It, it makes for great stories, and it's just really unfortunate that it's all over. Do you think the XFL is going to outlast it, and I, why? Because I, I think for anything that's... Maybe we should get rid of the whole feeder league principle and try to have a self-contained corporation, essentially, and an entity. I think the XFL can be that because they have never tried to be the NFL, right? Like, that's fair to say. I mean, especially early on in the beginning days, I would assume now they've probably learned from their mistakes what happened in the you know early 2000s with the league, but... Do you think that do you think it will outlast the AAF? So I I had an idea for the XFL for how it could work, which is to make it entirely a reality show. Like you don't watch the games. You could go online and watch the games, but the games happen and they're just like an NFL films type of recap of the games. So they show the big plays, they tell the players stories, they do interviews, behind the scenes stuff inside the rooms, like access like you've never seen before to football. And it's a one hour special each week. It's not, you have to sit down and watch three hours because this was the problem for me with the AAF is, I mean, I'd poke around and I would go into a game and watch, you know, 10, 15 minutes of it or something because football, but 
even then, it just really couldn't keep me. And you mentioned the quality of play, but with no other reason to watch other than just it's football, it couldn't capture you that quickly. If it was a reality show, like, I think they've done this with, with boxing. I mean, who cares about boxing anymore, right? But the reality show was really successful. And I think that the XFL could make it in the same thing, plus the like high level of production that they can do with WWE stuff. I think that's its only chance is to make it a one-hour weekly special and nothing else because no one is going to sit there and watch three-hour XFL games. Well, to your point, wasn't the XFL kind of like that early on? Did they do like interviews in the middle of games and, and have like scantily clad women? Wasn't that like a thing <laughs> for them? Like a they kind did, of yeah. reality they show, did. right? Yes. Like, right in the yes. middle of the Attitude Era for WWF at the yes. time. So, yeah. so I don't know if that's necessarily the, the right idea to go back to. That's probably part of the reason they failed uh, to begin with. I mean, but some people might say that that was a reason that they succeeded. I think with the collective bargaining agreement that comes up, what, a year from now in 2020, there might be a chance for the XFL to succeed. I don't know if they would be potentially a feeder system or a sister league or something like that, because when you take a look at how they line up, they're in NFL cities already, which I think is important. So you already have franchises there, and then you can kind of play off that. But given like i don't know i just feel like they have things that the X, that the aaf did not and the in proximity is one of them that's for sure but you know i think you can probably find a way once once there's you know voting to come up on the collective bargaining agreement to potentially leverage some of the assets that the mm. nfl has that might be their plan um, because it just feels like the AF, aaf was a weird timing right like does anybody else say that that was just a little bit odd how this whole thing came to be all of a sudden in 2019 i felt like we heard about it in December, maybe, yeah. and then all, yeah. maybe even January, and then it's like, oh, this thing's happening. You're right. It really was kind of like a, oh, there's another league popping up, mm-hmm. and you don't know any of the players, which was a little <laughs> bit of their problem, too, but it's a tough balance where you want to have some cool stories of guys who maybe uh, were in training camps or even in the NFL trying to fight their way back, but at the same time, no one's heard of any of those players so why should I be invested? I mean, that's the thing with the NFL. Not only do you have your local team that you've cheered for your entire life, and it's the biggest stage, and there's the fantasy element, and on and on and on, all the things of the infrastructure over 50, 60, 70 years that the NFL has built for its fandom, but also you know all the players. You know every quarterback for every team. I, I, I would say that you could walk out on the street right now and go over to the train and ask anyone who is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers? Who's the quarterback of the of the Bears? Who's the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks? Almost everyone would know. And this league didn't have any recognition of even players you might have heard of. Even if they had, like, wash-up quarterbacks or something. Like, they tried the Manziel thing too late. But even, like, what's Jamarcus Russell doing? I don't think it would have saved the league, but... Uh, I think from the approach of trying to make it purely the feeder league to get the attention of the NFL, it was a good thought, but in terms of how it translated, it just didn't go very well. So what can we do? RIPAF. I don't know if the XFL will work, but it is intriguing to go along with, um, you know, a potential lockout because I see almost no way that they just re-up this collective bargaining agreement, go forward with it, especially with things that we've seen from like Antonio Brown, 
where you're seeing power moves that now teams are afraid of. And I think that teams are going to try to push back even farther the other way. And players are going to be saying, hey, you gave out guaranteed contracts to these players. How about all of us now? Well, it's the bubble that's going to pop eventually yeah. at some point. And, and I could see a need for, because let's look at all the lockouts that have happened elsewhere in sports, baseball, hockey, um, They've they never had like a sister league like that's just ready to step in right there when the lockout happens, correct? So I think that maybe that could be the XFL's chance to pounce, right? If this if this does end up being a you know if we have a quarter of a season or half a season in 2020 um, or 2020 it'd be 2021, correct? Yeah, because of the votes in 2020, maybe that's the XFL's window. Maybe that's their chance to be able to make some noise then. Because the NFL could be on the fringe of, of basically a labor strike. I really have a tough time believing that any other football league will ever work. I mean, even like this year, I think the NFL bounced back from some lower ratings from what, 2016, 2017. But I think even the NFL is concerned about its long term viability with fewer young people playing and things like that. Like, not as far as existing, but as far as being by far run away the number one. Um, so other leagues trying to pop up and bounce in with the expenses that it takes. It, I just don't, I don't know how that would actually work. And, you know, when we look at all these leagues, it took a really, really long time. I mean, the NBA, the NFL to, to latch on and, and build up to what they were now for leagues to just pop in and expect to make a bunch of money right away. It just seemed really unreasonable. Um, you're listening to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin with you, Manny Hill producing. We are going to talk a little Cleveland Browns offseason because if you're talking about number one most interesting team in the NFL for the offseason, the Cleveland Browns are the runaway. So we're going to talk with Pat McManaman from ESPN when we come back here on Purple Daily. If it runs, guns, balls, hoops, drives, putts, bunts, dunks, hunts, lobs, saves, tees it up, throws up the rock, or bangs the boards, you'll hear it here. Scorenorth.com. From the 10, Baker's got the snap, Baker up in the pocket, Baker shuffling, throwing, end zone, caught in the back corner of the end zone, and it's a touchdown! As the Browns do it again, David and Joku is having a night, his second of the game! All right, back here on Purple Daily, and one of the things we want to do throughout the offseason is check in on other NFL cities who are having interesting offseasons, and there is no more interesting offseason than in Cleveland. We go now from ESPN, Pat McManaman. Uh, hey, Pat, uh, before I get into the Cleveland Browns offseason, what was your favorite AAF moment? We got you there, Pat? I lost you for a second. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Well, I that well that that blows my funny one liner. I asked. <laughs> I think you can still ask it again. I will ask it again. I, I said before we get into uh, your crazy off season, what was your favorite AAF moment? <laughs> what What's the AAF? <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, I figured of of all the uh, people covering football, you would have been maybe last to have seen the uh, AAF. Well, uh, I don't even know where to start with this off season for you. I mean, first, I guess. You've gotten used to covering trades, that's for sure, from John Dorsey. But uh, did you, when you started this offseason, have a feeling that there could be a bombshell coming in the form of an Odell Beckham? Or did you think they were going to sort of just ride out the course? Or was this a feeling that everyone had there in Cleveland? 
Well, it, it was a feeling that was out there. I don't know how much you believed it mm-hmm. because I don't think we ever thought the Giants would actually make the trade. So it was out there. I mean, Jarvis Landry has been talking about this since, since he got traded here a year ago, that he wanted to bring Odell here and he wanted Cleveland to be a destination team and all that kind of stuff. And it was out there, and you knew the Browns would love to add a receiver for Baker Mayfield. And, you know, if the Giants are willing to trade him, it's an obvious option because he's still young he's in his prime and all that kind of stuff so it was out there but it was really i mean it was hard to get my mind around because i didn't ever think the giants would make that trade after committing the money they did to him last year and i think that was kind of the general feeling in cleveland it was much more hope than belief uh pat on that note are fans really buying this yet i I know that there's always that cautious optimism in cleveland especially around the browns i mean anytime anytime a win happens that's a big thing but they're we're talking power rankings we're talking all the stuff that's happening in the off season and they're the hottest name in the nfl right now are fans ready to go all in expecting yes this is going to be this is going to be it for baker mayfield this is exactly what he needs or is there still kind of the thought that hey this might be actually a colossal dumpster fire that might not work out Break down the doors, open the floodgates, you name it, Courtney. Uh, there's, there's no, <laughs> there's no hesitation whatsoever. Uh, this fan base has been waiting for something good, and now they believe they have it. They are totally bought in. Uh, the expectations are through the roof, and the Browns know that. Uh, and we, you know, we've around long enough. We see low blow. The Browns believe they got something good here, and and there's no. <laughs> With, with these fans, they've waited so long for something good that when they see something that's tangible, that's really good, that they can believe in, they're they're not going to hesitate, and they're not. This, you know, this these expectations and the excitement is like a snowball going downhill. Uh, yeah, Pat, I used to uh, work in Buffalo, and even when the Bills signed Mario Williams, which I think most of the league looked at as like, okay, you're still the Bills, um, people were thinking Super Bowl. I mean, I just remember it was like, I, like I think that Buffalo and Cleveland are similar in that way. Like, give anybody something to hang on to with those teams, and, and they're going to go all in. Now, what's really interesting to me is the Freddie Kitchens aspect of this, where you could see him... Uh, connecting with Baker Mayfield and those two just going forward together as the faces of the team. Or you could also see a guy who doesn't have that much experience running into some rocky times and having trouble um, navigating that. I mean, which which way do you see that going for Freddie Kitchens as we go forward here? Um, that's a good question, and I think I don't know that we can answer that yet. Uh, we know that he was a really did a really good job as when he was the interim offensive coordinator, but. I think we both know, Matthew, that when you make the jump from interim anything to full-time head coach, it's it's gigantic. And now he's got a ton of huge personalities to deal with. He's got a lot of bravado on his team to deal with. He's got his own bravado. He's not afraid to be uh, be out there in terms of his expectations and his hopes and what his beliefs. Uh, and it, but it's a whole different level. It's a whole different job. He hasn't yet ever had to really step in front of these guys and discipline them. He hasn't had to. Uh, call him out. Uh, it's it's just going to be a different challenge. I don't know if we if we can really answer that till we see what happens. Uh, obviously, the Browns believe in him, but you know when you add Odell Beckham to a mix that already includes the uh, swagger of Baker Mayfield and, and other guys on the team and the other talented players, that's that's a lot to juggle, and that will be a challenge for a new head coach. So we talk about all the skill positions, and you know high-paid receivers and and all of that taking the spotlight in Cleveland, but 
one thing I don't think we can look past is just how star-studded this defensive line is. Um, in, in addition of somebody that we're familiar with and Sheldon Richardson in free agency to go along with Miles Garrett, um, Olivier Vernon, how, how do you, first off, just pinning off the news yesterday, was, was this expected in, in terms of what Emmanuel Ogba was the writing on the wall once they got Vernon? And, and what do you think the ceiling is for this defense. I mean, it's a very good defensive line. It kind of reminds you of, you know, maybe Jacksonville, maybe even kind of looking like the Minnesota Vikings. Where where do you expect this to go in 2019? Uh, Courtney, it's an excellent defensive line. And and they got four really good players. Larry Ogunjobi is a really active defensive tackle. So they have four guys who can all rush the passer, which I think is the goal, especially in this modern age. Uh, you you got to be able to rush the passer anymore because it's a passing league. Now, the question is, you know, they do have some holes in the secondary and a linebacker. Uh, they have to shore up the cornerback. They have to, they, they still have a needed safety, even though they made the trade yesterday with Agba. And as far as Agba goes, the writing was on the wall, yes. Uh, he had a pretty good first two seasons. I thought he was going to be a pretty good player. Uh, but last year, his play just dropped off dramatically. And I think that, you know, John Dorsey's not the kind of guy to sit around and wait. He's going to make a move. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to say they're going to be like Kansas City last season where they score a lot but give up a lot, but there are some question marks that they have to answer on, on the, in the secondary. But, you know, the key to this whole thing, and, and let's be honest, and it's probably the same as in Minnesota too, the key to this whole thing was Baker Mayfield. Uh, once you get the quarterback and you believe in him and you think you got him, everything else just kind of falls into place. And for some 18 years, the Browns didn't have the quarterback and they were just flailing. Now they feel like they have a guy. And, and he rewarded their faith as a rookie. He had an outstanding season. He was great. So if you have that and you believe in that, then he can overcome a whole lot of mistakes. Talking with Pat McManaman from ESPN covers the Cleveland Browns. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Baker because last year around this time, it was still unclear who the number one overall pick was going to be, at least to uh, all of us. And Baker Mayfield had by far the best stats and he was very accurate. But there was uh, those question marks about his character, his makeup. Is he going to be a guy that can't handle the pressure or the criticism or all those things? What did you observe from Baker Mayfield? Field last year about how he adjusted to the NFL life, and what does it tell you about how he now will have to handle expectations going forward? Um, well, I would say is he didn't adjust. <laughs> he didn't change at all. He, he he came in. He said, "I'm going to be me, and that's you know that's who I am, and I'm not going to change for anybody." And uh, that's what he is. He he wasn't afraid to, you know sort of call out Hugh Jackson after he got fired. He wasn't afraid to say what he wanted. He kind of taunted him dancing across the field. Um, he is he is what he is. He's very proud to say I'm not a cookie-cutter quarterback. Now, how that works in the long run in the NFL, you know, you, you don't like to make enemies. And what goes around can come around pretty quickly in the NFL. So whether he can maintain that and, and maintain his personality will be interesting because you don't see a lot of guys – at that position with the bravado that Baker is not afraid to, to show. Uh, that is part of what makes him him. Uh, he believes that he's been, you know, the, it's, it's the oldest line in the world and it's, you know, a tired old line, but he believes he was disrespected with, by people didn't give credit for his ability. And I will tell you what, I'll tell you, he is, he is really amazing in the pocket. And when he's, when he gets pressure, he does not look to run. He looks to move to, to find somebody down the field, he can read the def- he reads extremely well. He's I, I wasn't real high on the pick when they made it, but he's proven me wrong. I mean, he has everything you want in a quarterback. 
And if he can stay healthy and, and continue doing what he's doing, I, the Browns have every reason to believe this is this really is for real. Pat, how's our boy Brief doing out there? <laughs> How are those special teams thing. looking so far, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> well, based on the practices that I've seen, <laughs> no, he was great. He's glad to be home. You know, I know that he had the uh, issue at Minnesota, and he served his time, so to speak. But he's he grew up in Cleveland. He feels like he's a Cleveland guy. I think he's thrilled to be here. And I, you know, it's interesting too when you get the quarterback. All of a sudden, really good coaches are anxious to join your staff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the Browns feel like they got a really good coach. Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator, said the reason he chose Cleveland was because of Baker Mayfield. That he's an alpha male. So all of a, you know, things look a lot better when you got that one guy in, at the key position. So. Yeah, he, he he's doing well, and he seems like a really good guy. That's the same reason they hired me, Pat. They just said, this guy, alpha male, you got to put him in here. Um, well, I can, Let's see what Courtney has to say about that. <laughs> I'm an alpha female, I think. That's I the think reason. So. I think an yeah. alpha male and alpha female, we just buck heads all day, so yeah, the room's right. going to explode. And draft sim. That's and what we do. Uh, that was the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Pat. Is I'm, just, I'm happy as the Omega. <laughs> the uh the nfl draft for uh the the browns i mean so so many um positions are are filled at this point is it best players available for the browns is, is there somebody that you're writing about because here if the vikings don't draft an offensive line there might not be a u.s bank stadium anymore uh so <laughs> how are they feeling there in cleveland it's in the past 10 15 years um, covering this team, they can go best player available. Their, their starting lineup is almost written down right now. We know who's pretty much almost every position who's going to start. Now, you could have a surprise here and there. That, that happens, and they would welcome that because that means somebody's playing well. But the Browns have their 22 guys at starter, so they don't have a first-round pick. I, I don't know that they are targeting to get back in the first round. And I think whatever best player is there when they draft, they'll take. You know, may, Ideally, be a cornerback or linebacker or even add some depth at receiver. But uh, for this team to have this ability, it's, it's pretty unusual for Cleveland and what we've been through in the past few years. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this, like, most talented team since, what, Michael Dean Perry played for the Cleveland Browns, right? I mean... Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah the Kozar days. No, yeah. no question. It was yeah. back in the Bernie Kozar days. And, and, you know, some people are... People are talking like this is the biggest trade in Cleveland sports history and the, the biggest trade in Browns history. Well, that's got to play out. You know, if he, mm-hmm. Odell Beckham helps the Browns get to and win a Super Bowl or, or one or the other, either one, then you can make that argument because this is a gigantic, uh, momentous moment in, in Browns history. And, and it really did ignite the city in a, in a way that, you know, it wasn't quite what it was when LeBron James came back, but it, it was pretty close. I got to say, it was pretty close. Well, Pat, I know that we don't uh, root for wins and losses from the teams we cover, but we do root for drama. And my guess is you're going to have a lot of it there <laughs> this year that it's going to be fun for you. So uh wish you the best, and I hope that we can uh, catch up soon. And I will tell you also, Sheldon Richardson is good for some one-liners. Oh, he's so fantastic. We, we, listen, listen, listen closely. We like Sheldon Richardson. <laughs>
Dry humor does he have or what? Uh, let's just say obscure he, references. He's very he, he's unique. NFL history buff. Yeah. Like, he, uh, so I sat down with him oh, once, cool. one time to talk about NFL history because he he would just drop in LG Crumpler's name and uh, you know just like old school guys that you usually don't hear from young NFL players. So he's and he's funny too. He's got a good sense of humor. He's a unique guy. So uh, have fun with him and the rest of the squad. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you again sometime soon. That will be fun. He's probably going to have to fight for the microphone, but we'll, we'll <laughs> I know, see what we can right? do. I know. All right. Thanks for your time, <laughs> exactly. Pat. Thank you, guys. There's uh, Pat McManaman from ESPN, covers the Cleveland Browns. Um, I'm jealous. I mean, we have our own fair share of drama here. We, we never are short on things happening with the Vikings. But uh, as far as winning the offseason, there is nothing like for a reporter your team winning the offseason. Well, the Vikings were in that situation last year. I think a lot of people thought that they won free agency. I, I mean, they crushed it. Yep. Whether they crushed it and won it are two separate um, two separate things we're talking about. And it obviously goes to show you that just because you may crush and or win free agency, if it, it doesn't mean it's going to pan out during the season. The Browns could be in the same situation that the Vikings were in last year. Last season, given given all the moves they made in free agency, given how much they spent, given how aggressive they were, um, it doesn't doesn't matter until it actually pans out on the field. Uh, our friend Robert Mays from The Ringer sent me his uh, meme that he had created that. last year. About, I saw that. It somehow just uh, got that just got uh, re-upped on Twitter yeah, about the offensive line and yes, quarterbacks. Yes, and this is something that we are going to do next. That's why it relates. So it's it's funny. It's the guy who's looking back at the other girl and not at his girlfriend, um, and you know, the girl who's mad that he's looking back is offensive line, and the girl that he's looking at is cornerback depth. So you did some a, things never change. I know, right? It's it's funny. So you did a draft sim this morning. I did one yesterday. I want us to go through our draft sims because you are being named by Twitter as general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, or at least draft consultant. At very least, if you're if you're draft consultant, you're making upwards of I would assume one fifty two hundred. So please hire me. <laughs> All right, we'll go through our draft sims when we come back. Here, you're listening to Purple Daily on fifteen hundred. Because the Vikings are on your mind all the time, not just during the season. Purple Daily on Score North, ScoreNorth.com. Hey. Join Score North this Friday from noon until 6 as we broadcast live from Dave Block Brewing Company on the corner of Washington and 11th Avenue South. Stop on by for great craft beer and delicious pizza as you head to any of the Final Four festivities. Matthew Collar. Thank you, Manny Hill. You're welcome. So, Courtney, you've been waking up in draft simming. Every day. Cup of coffee and a draft sim. You know the Kendrick Lamar song, Wake Up. Drink, you know, that's on. You're like, yeah, yeah. wake up, draft, coffee, <laughs> draft. draft, go to work, draft. That's been you lately. I sh- I did it the other day during, I saw you at uh, Kieran's during Score Norris broadcast before the Twins game. I was draft simming at the table. I got to say, it reached a weird level where. Yeah, I like, know. I didn't see you there. And then you just sent me a draft sim to like, let me know. And then, and then I felt the force, like the yeah. draft You're force. Like, Whoa, like, she's here. She must be near. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> draft sims are a time killer. They they provide me with some inspiration. Apparently, I have a career. Um, 
the Twitter's giving me, uh, you know, advice that maybe I should be looking into another field uh, in personnel and yeah. scouting maybe. But I, um, And I agree after this draft that you had. So I want you to go through your most recent draft sim because I think it was your best. I did one for our website and I mean, yours is, yours is better than mine, but I'll go through mine as well. But why don't you start with your first two rounds, sure. who you landed in your most recent draft sim? So these two have been around, they've been available around the same timing at 1850. I went with Garrett Bradbury, uh, the center from North Carolina State. Yeah. I think from what I'm hearing, the Vikings really like him. And that's a good sign given, you know, what he can, he can play multiple positions. I know we know him as a center, but there is the belief that he can be a guard. So if you do want to keep Alfline there, it gives you that position flexibility but if I, if they draft him, I see him competing for that center spot and then probably moving Elfline back to right guard, um, or wherever he was. Was he right guard or left guard in college? Uh, All American. Right. So yeah, right, right back to to go back to right guard. I think he's a good second level player. It's just getting um, that discipline. So for me, that seems like the no brainer at eighteen. And and the thing that's interesting about this because you can only see what I screenshotted. Jonah Williams was available at eighteen, and you went, and I went Garrett Bradbury. Wow, I'm surprised by that. I, I like Jonah Williams. I think he's more of a road grader type guy. Um, and you know what they always talk about with this offensive line is athleticism, athleticism, scheme fit. And I just feel like the the buzz that I'm hearing about Jonah Williams in comparison to last year, remember everybody's talking about Will Hernandez, not yeah. a scheme fit, not yeah. a scheme fit. It feels like a very similar conversation, at least right now. Hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case, if they would go with a guy like Bradbury over Williams. See, I know that Mike Zimmer brought that up, and I'm just not a fan of that. The He's not a scheme fit. Like, I think you take the most talented players, and then you work with those talented players. I, I think that's what Bill Belichick does most successfully, and I know he has Tom Brady, and that helps a lot. But even on the defensive side, that there have been lots of changes. This team does the same thing. You change around your team's skill set, the players that you have. And if Jonah Williams is a potential starting left tackle in the NFL for you, like I think that he is, and a lot of people who have gone through his tape with Alabama think that he is, you you work around if he's not the quickest guy, but he's great in pass protection. Like Pass protection is so much more important than your running game, for especially when you've paid Kirk Cousins this much, and it's so much more important to winning to have an exceptional passing game than it is a running game. And usually if you pass the ball really well, your running game comes along. I mean, this is the thing about like just fallacies and the way we talk about this stuff is, oh yeah, look at the teams who are in the playoffs. They ran well, right? Because they were leading because of the pass. I mean, you think that the Chiefs ran so well with anyone that they shoved back there after the Kareem Hunt thing? You think that was just magic that they found all these great runners? Like the whole, remember the thing with um, John Elway and how, like, oh, uh, the Broncos always have these great running games, right? They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. That helps. So, I mean, Terrell Davis was great, but there were other running backs who came in and did well too. And that's part of it. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I think with the Vikings, you take the best guy. But to your Bradbury pick, he might be just as good. Mm -hmm. And he destroyed the NFL Combine. I mean, he ran one of the fastest 40s, one of the fastest three cones, one of the fastest shuttles, one of the highest bench presses. I mean, the guy was an athletic freak, which could really help on the interior of this offensive line. Well, when we talk about the, oh, it's not a scheme fit. I It's almost more of an excuse for me because we look at the coaching 
Look at look at what how how much Mike Zimmer has already praised Gary Kubiak and why was Terrell Davis so good? Because they had a really good outside zone blocking scheme in Denver, which certainly helped take Terrell Davis, who was a no name dude. Same thing that happened with Arian Foster in Houston. Yeah, because you had you didn't have a great offensive line except for your left tackle. You didn't have a bunch of like star studded guys. So for me, I think it's the he's not a scheme fit argument's a little lazy sometimes. Because scheme, the scheme can change a lot of things. Scheme can coaching and scheme can overcorrect some flaws sometimes. Um, so for me, that's where I kind of fall into play with it. I mean, I'm not making this pick at the at the end of the day in well, April. I mean, I do think that if it's up to Williams or Bradbury, that's going to be a really tough yeah. choice because both of them uh, have great reasons to be first round picks with what Bradbury put on tape combined with his NFL Combine performance but Williams has the tape and the positional value for me that's why I would go Williams like I understand why you did this because Bradbury could be an immediate impact player with his NFL caliber athleticism he's going to be a high level NFL athlete the moment he steps on the field which is unusual so I could see why you would decide to go with that but your second pick was mind-blowing in this draft sim yes and it was Dalton Reisner from Kansas State and I I know that you got him I was a little surprised about that, and I did say at the start of the segment that he was around 50-ish. I remember in in multiple of these that I've done, he's gone off either early second round or he's been right around 50. This is the first time I was able to select him at 50 itself. So to me, that's a steal. If you can get him the position flexibility that you have with a guy like this, it's somebody that that's this is the prototype offensive lineman that Mike Zimmer loves. This is, if you had to like paint a picture, this is the one. And I think that that would be an ultimate, like just one of the best gets that you'd ever, you'd be talking about with this team because he has a chance to be a starter right now. He does. I was really amazed that you ended up with him because I took him in my draft sim at 18. Yeah. Because he could be potentially a starting right tackle. And this would, you'd get him into camp and you'd figure out what happens based on, his ability to handle the edge rushers. You got a pretty good guy to give him looks against with Daniil Hunter. So you get into camp and you give him some looks there. But considering he's played center before, he could play guard, he could do anything you want. And he is another guy who's a high-level athlete who did extremely well at the NFL Combine. So your best-case scenario with Dalton Reisner is that he starts at right tackle, you move O'Neal to left, left tackle, and then Riley Reef inside. Guard. But you also might end up starting Reisner at left guard instead. And you've got a starter right away there who you can move around or maybe even start him at left guard to begin with and then back to right tackle in the future. I mean, I think that he gives you a lot of flexibility there. And with you drafting two offensive linemen in the first two rounds, zero people would be against that. No, I, think I mean, everyone would be for that. And just given how they prioritize defense in free agency, I know that, yes, they did get a guard in Josh Klein. Uh, somebody who has durability, which Mike Zimmer spoke with us at the owners' meetings last week, just how important of a factor that is for this offensive line that's dealt with a lot of injuries in the past few years. But there's still so much work to be done that I don't see how you can't address it in the first three rounds at minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think first two, if they didn't in the first two, people would lose their minds. And and that's fair. I just think that, because I know that in several of other draft sims I've done, I've drafted a safety with the second uh, pick. Maybe, I think maybe a few times I've looked at tight ends. Yeah. 
But I think that you have to address it multiple times within the first three rounds. Because if you're giving somebody a fourth round grade, that's because you don't know what to do with him at the end of the day. That's and I think that's an inconclusive grade to begin with. And truth be told, this team has not had a lot of fourth round picks, i.e. Willie Beavers that have panned out that well on the offensive line. I'm yeah, I'm I misunderstood. I meant just if they don't take in the first two rounds an offensive lineman, not they have to take both or people will freak out. You've got to come away with one, and that's what I did in my mm-hmm. draft sim. But I went a direction to please the head coach. Okay. I went with I went BPA with fifty instead of looking for filling needs. I went the best player, Sean Bunting, a cornerback from Central Michigan. Nobody hurt me. In this room with the second round. I had I got Reisner, I got my offensive lineman, and then I went corner, and I, I'll tell you why. Because Trey Waynes probably isn't on this team after next year. Pro- if, could not be on this team at the draft. Could the, get He could be yep. a draft night trade. Exactly. And I know that Mike Zimmer has talked about making Xavier Rhodes better, but I went through last week and looked at the trajectories for other corners who were big, guys who are around 6'1", six 6'2", six like Xavier Rhodes, Star corners, not like just any old schmuck, but your Darrell Revis, your Akib Tlaib, guys like that. And once you get to 28, 29, 30, you're talking tail end of the prime and you really don't know. Like Akib Tlaib continued to play really well. Darrell Revis fell off the face of the earth after he was 29 years old. And it's just hard to say with a bigger guy. He's had a great career and was a... Um, superstar corner for, I'd say, two full seasons and maybe half of 2015. But going forward here, I could see it going either way. I could see him bouncing back roads and being fantastic. But three years from now, that's really hard to say. So just because you drafted Mike Hughes high last year doesn't mean that you're all set there for the future. And I don't know what Holton Hill is. He might be just what we saw last year as a fill-in guy. He might be a star. I don't know yet. Uh, Based on... 30 targets against him, it's pretty hard to say whether he's going to be great or not. So I decided, you know what, if a corner is there, you've always got to be able to stop the pass and pass the ball to win. So it's really important to this team to have another corner. I went with one at 50. And if Mike Zimmer's the head coach of this team, no matter how much longer that happens, cornerback depth is always going to be prioritized at the top of the list, no matter what you have. We don't know when Mike Hughes is coming back in terms of the timetable for his return Cornerbacks have to backpedal. They have to have lateral movement. You're just coming off of an ACL surgery. Yes, it's a common injury. We had Sage in here a few weeks ago, and he was talking about, Sage Rosenfeld was talking about, just they don't have that explosiveness. That first season back, it's always very difficult. I think the key cog in all of this can Mackenzie Alexander, Can it was year three, not just a flash in the pan, or is right. this going to be something that they can trust him going forward into year four? Is he their guy? Um, that to me is is one of the thing nobody's talking about. Like, where does Mackenzie Alexander factor into this? Right. Because, yeah, there's young prospects that you have with Mike Hughes and Holton Hill. Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes, they, they might be at the end of their Viking career. Right. Right. Mackenzie, and- Mackenzie's the biggest unknown that we have here, and I think that there's still a need at some point, not saying maybe, I don't know if I would go 50 with, with my cornerback pick, but I could see the rationale to do it. Uh, who did you pick with your third and fourth rounders? Well, Mike Zimmer, when I asked him last week, said that he wasn't concerned about adding more weapons around Kirk Cousins. Um, 
I'm How? concerned. How? I'm very concerned about this. How would so, you not be concerned about that? Well, especially when your number three that was supposed to be your number three or actually it's supposed to be number two or number one never panned out in Laquan Treadwell. I'm going with big number three. Him, big, big plans. plans. Big I'm plans. not Thank writing you, it again, by the way. I'm not doing I'm it. I'm not. I already, I have had a lot of not so good luck writing those types of, uh, this is it. This is it's his chance uh, with wide receivers on this team from Michael Floyd to Laquan Treadwell. I'm not going to take the bait on that this year. So I went with Paris Campbell, six one wide receiver out of Ohio State, should become explosive player. Yes. And I mean you can play him in the slot, you can play him as an X, you can move him around. I think that this is a perfect complement for somebody like Kirk Cousins to have another option outside of Thielen and Diggs. They're both very good, but he runs a four three forties fast. That's impressive to me. I went with uh, Riley Ridley, the receiver from Georgia. He is more of a pure outside guy. But you know what's really interesting is Juju Smith-Schuster was not very fast, and he was more of a pure outside guy. And the Steelers gave him more opportunities inside because he's a really crafty route runner and a smart player. And that's what Ridley is supposed to be, is a very crafty route runner. And not that he would take that position all the time from Adam Thielen, but I wonder if that could give them more flexibility and if Ridley will drop because he has only really played one position in Georgia and he doesn't have spectacular numbers, but he has sort of like good underlying numbers. He has good yards per catch. He has good completion percentage when thrown his way. But we're on the same page with the receiver. I took another one in the fourth round. I took David Sills out of West Virginia, who's kind of like, again, not super fast, but also is uh, a deep threat because he can go up yeah. and get it. Had one of the highest uh, vertical jumps at the draft, and he's a really good athlete, or at the combine. So I went two receivers there, and you're just, anytime you're taking a receiver in general, but especially down the board, you're just like rolling the dice and hoping that it works out for you. And so I thought, you need another one, take two, and see if one works out. Well, it's an interesting concept to think of weapons when the head coach says he doesn't need more weapons. Well, does that mean, are you alluding to the fact that Dalvin Cook's actually going to be used in the passing game in ways that he hasn't? You'd think so. You would. But either way, you need a number two tight end or you need a number three receiver. To me, that's a non-negotiable, and that's not just the haves and the have-nots. Yes, they have other needs that they have to address before that, but to me, if you're not looking at that by your third or fourth round pick, there's there's an issue there. Have we also thought if there would, you know, be any chance of anyone getting injured on this football team? Like yeah. this is the crazy thing about this offense is well, right now they have no backup quarterback. Sean Mannion came and left everyone. I'm sorry we didn't lead the show with that. But Sean Mannion didn't resign. So they have no backup quarterback. They have no number three receiver if either Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen gets hurt. Diggs missed one game last year, and Thielen was shut down in that game because they had no one else to throw to. They have no number two tight end at this moment that you can rely on as a receiver. So when Kyle Rudolph got hurt, uh, in 2017, we saw just how short they were at that position. And at running back, you have Mike Boone is right now your number two running back. They apparently checked in on um, C.J. Anderson, mm-hmm. so there's probably interest there in the draft. But at no position is there any depth on this offense whatsoever. No, and that's to me, that's a big problem. For Kirk Cousins, why was he so successful in 2016 in Washington? Look at the options. A, a a stacked running back room, two very good and very different wide receivers, and you know a slot guy too, having multiple diverse or uh, you know versatile tight ends. I think there's a lot there that you just can't overlook. I mean, yeah, you need to fix the offensive line in front of Kirk, but 
he needs he's a guy who needs who honestly truly should probably have a lot more half field reads scripted in there for him and a lot more options to throw to. You're not going to scheme Laquan Treadwell to be able to replicate Stefan Diggs if he gets hurt. And I think you need to take swings no. in the draft because they're out of money. And now there's no one else to get. Even if they traded away Trey Waynes to create some cap space, there are other running backs that they could get. TJ Yeldon is still out there. But, I mean, as far as receivers, you're talking, again, bottom of the barrel, bring back Aldrick Robinson. Like, I mean, they are really flying without a parachute on this offense. Like, this offense right now, assuming scheme improves and the offensive line is better because they draft someone in the first round, but not a lot better. You're still going to have the same tackles. Like, Wow. I mean, it's they are putting a lot on Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak to make more out of this offense than is actually there. And if anyone gets hurt, they have a huge, huge hold that can't be filled by anyone. And even if they draft some of these guys, they're still like hoping that Riley Ridley or Paris Campbell can come in and and fill in. And that was when we talked about this for distribution of cap space is like, you know, that there's no backups on this team right now. Like, if anybody gets hurt, yep. I don't know what you do. Well, and that goes to my fourth-round pick. That's why I waited so long to draft an interior defensive lineman. Yeah. Simply because they seem to have all the depth they can handle. They've got Jaleel Johnson. They've got, uh, and I'm saying behind uh, Shamar Stefan, they've got Jaleel Johnson. They've got um, Jalen Holmes, potentially. I would assume that Tom Johnson will probably wind up back on this roster does, at some yeah. point. He can't can't get rid of him, and nor would we want to. But I think it's me. I think it's you. I think that Tom um, just wanted to have me write about him. Well, I took with the 120th overall pick, so it's their fourth rounder, because they currently don't have a fifth. Um, and I'm not dra- drafting a defensive tackle in the sixth round. I'm not waiting. I went with Dalen Mack from Texas A&M. I think that there's... we. I, I, the writing, to me, is kind of on the wall with what Jaleel Johnson's ceiling is as a rotational nose yep. or three technique. I don't... I just don't think that there's that he's viewed in a way where they expect him to be backing up Shamar Stefan every single play. So well, or or you or being used in rotation. So get another body in there. Um, maybe maybe the offense will eventually adapt that same philosophy of yeah we need depth. But um, you know they they like their eight they like their nine or ten guys. I like to keep nine or ten guys in the defensive line is important for depth. All right, very good draft by you. Thank you. And you were I worked awarded, hard on that. Yes. I've been I've been honestly I'm going to toot my own horn here. I've had some good ones lately. <laughs> you were awarded by uh, draft twitters maybe having the best draft sim so far. So great work on that. What if week continues on Purple Daily when we come back since uh, we're kind of in a lull right now going into draft season. We've decided to look back at some things and ours for today. What if Sam Bradford never got hurt after week one in 2017? We're going to kick that around. And where would we be right now if Sam Bradford had stayed healthy? What would we be talking about? So we're going to go through that next. When we come back, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.